ladies and gentlemen. Will you stop moving the, the mug? Sorry, I can't stand Rion today. It's It's been a long day, uh, both for football and not related to football. But, um, yeah, Rion's driving me up a wall. We spent, like, half an hour together already, and I want to stop. So, But anyway, we're, we're back. It's been... Uh, <laughs> It's been 10-plus uh, days, as Rian accurately corrected Slightly for me. Slightly less than two weeks. R- Rian said two weeks. I said 10 days, and apparently we were both wrong, and it's somewhere in the middle, because 10 days ago would have been, what, a Saturday? Saturday. Yes, right, yes. so so we didn't record on a Saturday last, but we're, uh, we missed out on the Champions League talks, and we, we missed that. So we wanted, to, uh, we wanted to bring that to all of you guys and, of course, bounce our thoughts and ideas off of each other, because God knows we're not going to agree on almost anything when it comes to the Champions League. Like, you know, how PSG is still going to win the Champions League, right? Uh, Wait, who made this? Who said that? (laughs) I I said that. Oh, you you still believe that? I don't know about that. That's that's a different story. But we are are back talking a little bit of Champions League today. Um, And we're going to start off with last week's games because we didn't get a chance to cover them. But I do want to go through the results very briefly so far as they stand. We're recording on the Tuesday of the second week of the first legs, if that made sense. Um, Starting off with PSG Dortmund. Uh, Dortmund closing out a 2-1 win over PSG at home uh, with... Holland, uh, Holland heroics, if you'll call it. Um, I'm, I'm, I should really write for like a magazine or like a newspaper and come up with these cheesy headlines. Um, Atletico. Um, oh, let's start with let's. I want to go through slow. I want to go through all the results, but fine. I mean, everyone knows the results by this point. We're not, we're not bringing bring any news here. This is literally a week ago. So. Per Rian's request, we're going to start with that. Dortmund and PSG. So yeah, let's let's start off with with this game. Um, this game was I I don't know I, I don't know what my expectations, quite frankly, were for Dortmund and PSG coming into this game. Um, goals. I mean, go, I, yeah. Okay, so goals were my expectation. I just didn't know who they were going to be for. Um, I obviously going to Dortmund is a tough place to go, but. I don't know. When you have the skill set that the PSG front three have, I think that's very hard to combat. And, and Rian and I were talking actually a little bit ago about, you know, the best attacking teams in Europe. Um, and I, I do think PSG is still one of them. Um, but they they couldn't string it together here against what was a, a fantastic Dortmund performance, quite frankly. No, I think, I think that's true. I, this was the tie, I think, that... For me, of all of the Champions League round of 16 games, when the draw came out, between this and Real Madrid and Manchester City, those were probably the two most entertaining, on paper, ties that you looked at um, for the round of 16. Manchester City and Real Madrid, for because those are two massive, massive teams and have a lot of talent in every area of the field, but PSG and Dortmund, because of how much attacking talent there is, and you expect a lot of goals on each side, and for the first 45 minutes, we didn't really get that. We had 0-0 going into halftime, not to say that there weren't chances for either side, but you know, no goal scored after the first half. I don't think many people would have put money on that, for sure, right? Um, but I do have to say, I didn't watch this initially live so I tried to stay away from 
a lot of scoring alerts or you know even from like our group me with our friends who also are also big soccer fans and as I was telling Ellis just before we recorded started recording I went home and found a full replay of the game and I was watching it and I was so giddy watching most of this game because because it was not just because these were two great attacking teams, right? But even that first half with no goals was very, very entertaining. And you saw a lot about what makes both of these attacking sides special in their own ways, right? Dortmund with their just big, big feeling of um, youth and exuberance, right? When they when they press and they hit on the counter really, really quickly, which is not just a Dortmund thing, but that's something that we'll probably touch on later when we when we talk about Bayern and Chelsea too. German, the top teams in Germany right now are really, really intense on their press and they make it hard on just about any other top team. But the interesting things from this game is I felt like Dortmund did, for the most part, they were the better team over the first 90 minutes. The first half, they probably should have had a lead. They had a few chances to score. And PSG were just not quite cohesive. And I think a big reason of that is this was Neymar's first game back in a few weeks. Yeah. And he yeah. was purposely held out of their last few league on games. <laughs> To one, obviously, keep him healthy because that's always a risk with Neymar. But um, you could see, at least in the very beginning, at least in the first, I'd say, 60 minutes, he looked just a little off the pace. Mm -hmm. He looked like he was trying to just play around guys a lot, more than than usual, I'd say. Um, And that even seems to... seep into Mbappe a little bit because there were definitely a couple times that Mbappe picked up the ball before they scored before they got the goal that was almost all Mbappe's doing right um a lot of times he was getting the ball and we're trying to do like a little trick to get around to just instead of going forward do a trick to just get past a defender and like end up going backwards and stuff with it so I mean that's just one of these things where your best player on the team, which is probably Neymar, you know, for people on the outside looking in, right? I kind of feel like he's definitely influenced Mbappe personality-wise a bit on the pitch, right? I, not, I'm not saying that Mbappe also <laughs> like flops and rolls around and stuff as much as Neymar because that's almost impossible to do. But, <laughs> but in the same sense where there's almost more of an emphasis on flair than, I guess, effectiveness, right? Like in this game, like we saw making it look flashy, right, right. And in this game, that Neymar was kind of forced to have to drop a bit more to get the ball, and I think Dortmund defended pretty well most most of the time. Um, but even when Neymar was playing a bit more of like a number ten in this game, he just wasn't. Good. I mean, it's it's hard. To, I don't want to be that harsh on him because again, he was coming back from an injury, but he looked like someone who hadn't played in a little bit, and 
every time he tried to make a pass, a pass that most number 10s you expect, he was missing on a lot of them. And I think he got really outplayed by Jane Sancho on the other side, too, who was fantastic for Dortmund. But, <laughs> but Shameless plug for... Shameless, uh, no, not shameless plug. He's, I mean, he's... Well, now you can say, arguably, maybe he's not Dortmund's best player. But he's been Dortmund's best player this season. Right. So, right. so that's more of a plug that he's been one of the best players in Europe. And he was the only one out of the two of him and Neymar that looked like it during this game. That's very true. There was another player that, that stood out to, um, to a lot of people. Do you know who that player is? Uh, Matt's Hump. No, so... <laughs> Of course, we're talking about Eric Holland. Aaron, Eric, oh my God. Erling. Erling. I, can't, I keep saying Eric for some reason. Um, Erling Holland, who has, was it 12 goals now? At the time of recording. Um, in, in his first nine. In his first nine. nine. I was going to say eight. With, with Dortmund. Which is ridiculous. Um, two of which came during this game. Um, one of which was out of this world, like genuinely world, world class. Um, and to think that he really went to Dortmund for 20 million euros plus, you know, add-ons essentially, um, is, might be the steal of the decade, quite frankly. Like it was a great buy for Dortmund. So, I mean, the, the future is only up for him, right? Like, especially if they go through. Yeah. I, I, I want to ask your opinion on this. Well, first, before we get to that, as I also told Elias before we started recording, I as I watched this game live, I didn't know what the second Holland goal was. I, I knew that he had, I knew that he had a goal in the game. I didn't know when it came. I didn't know, I didn't even know he had two before I started watching. But I knew he scored at least once, and I had no idea the nature of the goal. And so I was watching on my couch in my apartment. And I have my headphones on. I'm, I'm watching on my computer. One of my roommates is playing um, Fortnite, and I'm sitting right next to him, and I'm watching the game. And when Holland hits it, and you hear the sound of the net, that that's something that is seared into my mind too. The sound of the net when he hit it was orgasmic in the first <laughs> place. But but as soon as it hit. I almost knocked my headphones off completely and yelped a little bit and said, oh, my God, and, like, <laughs> and immediately grabbed my roommate because I had to show him this goal. <laughs> it was just amazing. You had that goal, and then the first goal he scored, which was, you know, more or less a tap-in, but it still came from just positioning and being and just kind of being in the in the area of the goal and always kind of being around the ball when it's very close to the goal with him, he showed you the range in his ability and his ability to score goals. He's just a killer. You know, he's up to 44 goals in all competitions this season with, uh, with obviously with Salzburg and, and now with Dortmund and to do that at 19 years old. So this is why I wanted to ask for me, he's like a mix of Lewandowski and I don't even. I, I want to say Ibrahimovic before, but he's That's he's on. He, yeah, I, I think I only think not Ibrahimovic because Ibra is not as quick as him, not nearly as fast yeah. as him, 
And so a lot of Ira's goals, those unbelievably acrobatic ones, were out of just pure imagination. And I, I'm not sure that Holland is that type of right. level in, in the types of goals like that. Although, but his second goal was a very Ibra yeah. goal for sure. <laughs> uh, I, I just put him with with Lewandowski because we can only go off of what we've seen from him so far, right? And he's been extremely clinical from just about every area yeah. of the pitch when he takes shots. He's, he's just he's extremely athletic, right? Like he has such a range of athleticism, and for a nineteen-year-old, is incredible. Um, but. <laughs> Excuse me, but his his athleticism allows him to do two things, right? It allows him to get into spaces that either no one else can see or are very difficult to get into, and it allows him to actually strike the ball correctly, which is not an easy thing for an up and coming striker, right? Like the reason he scored that second goal is because a he was in the right position, and b he's athletic enough to understand what what in position his body touch, needs to be the in. First yeah. touch on that, he puts himself in a perfect position. He puts himself in a perfect position where it almost looks like he's stretching to take the shot, but. He just put himself away, just far enough away from, mind you, Thiago Silva is the center back that's on him as he hits that, as he hits that. And, and Thiago Silva just had, wasn't able to get close enough to him because of his first touch. And you also have to give a shout out there to, to young Gio Reyna, the uh, American midfielder, 17 years old, comes on and provides an assist in his Champions League debut and became the youngest, well, youngest American, obviously, to, to get an assist in Champions League. But I do want to now turn a little bit to the second leg here, Elias. So how can we give PSG fans some hope here? From my side, I will say right before Dortmund scored the first goal, it looked like PSG were getting back into that game for sure. It... I thought a lot of what they were missing in the first half and what they kind of got to maybe just about 10 to 15 minutes into the second half is that, again, with Mbappe and Neymar, when they picked up the ball, they were not running forward at these Dortmund defenders. I think we all have the same opinion of Dortmund's defending as we've seen for the last two years, that they're... Incapable. They're all yeah, they're, and they're always liable to give up a very late lead, or they're always liable to give up leads in general because they just can't handle they can't handle high level t- attacking talent coming at them very well. But but I thought that PSG just weren't moving the ball quick enough in the first half. They weren't transitioning quickly enough, and you have to give some credit to Dortmund too because they tried to play at least a little bit more defensively than usual when they didn't have the ball. I thought in the second half, it flipped a little bit for 20 to to 25 minutes, where PSG were the team that were running at Dortmund, and Dortmund was having a harder time transitioning in general, uh, up until basically the second goal. The second goal was was just about the time when they caught PSG high up the field, and Giorena gets the ball makes a wonderful turn and he's in space and plays into Holland who scores that unbelievable goal. I think if they can get 
Mbappe and Neymar running at them just a lot more. As you saw in the first, in the goal that Neymar scores, Mbappe picks it up 40, 45 yards away, and it's him 1v1. He sees, he literally sees Giorena right in front of him in the midfield, and Giorena has no chance to catch, to actually stay with him 1v1. And then Zagadu uh, in Dortmund's back line for God knows why tries to dive in at Mbappe who's running full speed at him and takes out Giorena at the same time and, and Mbappe's just on his own and he's got and he's able to just play it easily into uh, Neymar who scores that goal and the thing that was also so great about this game this game had almost everything is that Neymar was like a pantomime villain during this game because he was doing Neymar things that didn't make <laughs> everyone in the stadium who were Dortmund fans very happy. And so when he scored, I was just cracking up because they immediately started booing him and he's like and he's basically like giving it to the to the Dortmund fans after scoring two and out and it was unbelievable and thankfully I guess Dortmund scored again and they got to boo Neymar for every single touch for the rest of the game. But um, but I think They'll be home. They'll they'll be at home for the second for second leg, and you th- you you think they'll be at home because they will be at home. No no no. That's I said no. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> they will be at home, but I think there's there's some encouragement to come there because I don't think they can play quite as bad as they did um, attacking wise in the second leg, and you know, like I said, we we I don't have a lot of faith in Dortmund's ability to defend, but. I don't know. What do you think, Elliot? I have a lot of faith in PSG's attack to score and score at home. And I think that, quite frankly, at in Paris, PSG's home record is good. It's not like, oh, best in Europe, anything like that. It's, it's good. Um, but it's formidable enough that I think they actually go through after losing the first leg. Dortmund put up a fight. It was at home, and it was a good one. I'm not ruling out you know, Holland scoring again, but I think PSG have the capability, especially at home to score three if they so need be. And, and I think that's entirely, you know, within their potential to do that, not within their right, but within their potential. Um, and so I'm looking for PSG to focus on, you know, you mentioned the one key thing that I was going to mention, you know, attacking prowess rather than attacking flair, which I think they need to, to improve upon and they haven't they didn't show it you know this past weekend or the the weekend before so much they, i mean they they did score a lot of goals but they also conceded a lot in the last couple of games but i think that they get it done at home because this is what the club has pretty much pegged their entire fortune on essentially the champions league so yeah yeah i i wouldn't be surprised if psg made it through after that at all there just needs to be more cohesion in their attack and there was Almost none of that in that in the first game um, at Dortmund because in the end they need their two best players to be their two best players of course but they need to seem like they have a bit more of a plan than give Mbappe the ball give Neymar the ball hope that they can just beat their man one on one which most of the time they will because they're that level of player but um, they need more they need something more concrete than than that. Agreed. Agreed. I guess we'll see in a couple weeks if they actually have that. But the team that did have a lot of cohesion 
um, and put the European champions to the sword uh, was a, a Spanish team led by none other than Diego Simeone himself. Rian, this is one of the first times that Liverpool has tasted defeat. Obviously, of course, it's only the second time this season that they've lost <clears throat> that they've lost a game. Um, how much? Before we even get into Atletico, how much do you think that this loss affects Liverpool, right? They're, the European champions are coming off, a, obviously, a historic year for them. We're going back to Anfield. I, I'm scared of Anfield. I don't want to talk about Anfield. But how much do you think this affects them? Well, in their season overall, I don't think it'll have a massive effect on them. But, you know, over the last couple of seasons... Liverpool haven't do- haven't dominated in the Champions League, right? They've dominated the Premier League. Of course, they're that much better than just about every other team in England outside of Manchester City, right? But in Europe, they've they've lost games away from home. They lost to Napoli away from home this season. Um, last season, they lost to Barcelona away from home. They they aren't they aren't unbeatable away from home in Europe, right? <laughs> Where they have been a bit unbeatable is at home in Europe. But but even this season, you know, we saw Salzburg were able to come back from down 3-0 against them. Granted, they ended up losing the game, but they did show some fragility for sure at home in, in uh, Europe. And I think this is a more of an overarching thing that I, that I think we'll, we'll kind of keep talking about as we talk about talk more about the other English teams in the Champions League, is that in England right now, Liverpool have almost a luxury, but even like the mentality that they have in the Premier League right now, where they can kind of turn it on and off, right? Intensity-wise. Yeah. Right? Like, like, we see it basically every three or four games now, and we saw it on Monday with West, with West Ham, right? They can go up, they can take a lead, or even if they don't take a lead, and they get into a position where they're down a goal or they're unexpectedly tying a game, right? They just kind of can turn it on in the last 20 minutes. Now, a lot of that goes towards their conditioning. Like, I'm not going to say that they're just taking teams, like not taking teams seriously for 60 minutes and then turning it and then being like, oh, okay, we should start playing or something like that, right? I I think a lot of that is because they wear teams down from their stamina, but you don't have the luxury of being able to turn on and off your intensity levels or your levels of concentration when you're playing in Europe, when you're playing against the best teams on the continent, I mean, the best teams in the world, realistically. So in England, they have that, they have that Opportunity to kind of wane on and off on how much they're they're putting effort into a into a singular game, and because of the quality of the Premier League right now, it's basically that's that's pretty much the reason. But you're not going to be able to do that against a Cholo Simeone team. You're not going to be able to come in and just think that you're going to completely dominate the game, which more or less they did possession wise, right? But their intensity, which is such a big advantage to them in England, 
is not as much of an advantage in in the Champions League right now, and and they're facing teams that aren't going to show just as much intensity. They're going to show just as much. In most areas, just as much cohesion, especially defensively if you're playing against Atletico Madrid. It's just they have to raise their game more. Ultimately, I don't think they should be too worried because the difference between the 1-0 and 2-0, I think, is massive. Even though, at this point, do we think any lead against Liverpool going back to Anfield is massive? Maybe not. But the opportunity that Alvaro Morata had to put it at 2-0. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. This was so sad. Truly, like, truly so sad. It, it was kind of the most Morata thing that could have happened. He's The ball just falls beautifully to him from maybe about I think 10 yards away and he's coming onto it with his left foot and as he's about to strike it he just slips and the reason why I think 2-0 is so much of a difference in this sense in this maybe not in this year for Liverpool but just in general for the team they're playing is now if it's 2-0 Atletico don't have to go and score at Anfield they don't because I think either way, there. I would not put a cent on Liverpool not scoring at home. And it, once it is, let's say one nil Liverpool, or it's one one, even one one Liverpool. Now you've got real problems because as soon as they score, that is when it gets really scary to play against them at Anfield. Because. I mean, at that point, they they kind of control the narrative, right? They <clears throat> they control the the tempo, the intensity, and it's we've seen, or at least I've seen, Simeone's team this season struggle with that a little bit. Um, at home, they're a fortress at that, um, and they have one of the best defensive records in La Liga. But they they still suffer when the other team controls possession. They're not the 2013-14 team that won the league, it's a different version of that now. And so I think that going to Anfield, they have a 1-0 lead, and they're aware that it's a very slim lead, but I'm confident that Simeone will put the utmost effort into ensuring that positionally his players know exactly what spaces Liverpool were trying to take advantage of. They have the experience of that now. And that's probably not going to change at Anfield because they ha- the Liverpool dominated possession, right? But they just didn't get a single shot away on, on uh, target, on target on right? Target. Yeah, they had none on target. So the best way to keep that up is by continuing the defensive structure that Simeone brought into that game, right? Like we saw in the corners, how he set up against the counterattack. We saw, you know, exactly what their deep, um, deep back four plus another line of four essentially look like at the Wanda. And that's exactly what I would expect him to do at Liverpool because that won you the game in Madrid. So why would you change exactly that? Right. And I think... We said when this draw came out, too, that we thought if there was any team in Europe with any manager that we think could neutralize the high press, the really chaotic 
nature of Liverpool, it was probably going to be a Diego Simeone's team, right? I think interesting thing now going forward is Kieran Trippier just came back for Atletico Madrid this weekend, and he was wonderful as soon as he came on and provided an assist in his first game back. Came on as a sub, provided an assist within the first 15 minutes of their game. Um, it'll be really interesting to see, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on this, Elias. Is there a chance? Do you think he brings in Trippier? Do you think he brings Trippier into this game? Do you think this game's not for another three weeks, two weeks, two or three weeks, right? So he'll get some match fitness along with Jao Felix, who also came back this weekend and scored, mm-hmm. right? What are the odds that we see both of those players at Anfield in, in two weeks starting? Not not coming on as subs, but starting. So, okay, that's a good good question. I would, if I were in <clears throat> Simeone's position, 100% I'm starting Trippier. I think Trippier gives you so much going forward in the same way that Trent you know, kind of does for Liverpool. Um, but he does so in the perfect way for Atletico because he still is capable of defending in some capacity. He's um, become a better defender. He has. Yeah. By being with this coach. It's, yeah. It's what, it's what you, the base of what you expected to do and he's providing, you know, the, the attacking side. Too. Right. And one of the, you know, the best stories about when Trippier first came over the summer to Atletico is um, Cholo's right-hand man, essentially, um, the very first day of training, speaks broken English. Um and he was telling Trippier, go here, go there. This is how you defend. This is how you do this. And I think Trippier's kind of gotten it. But the, the attacking side of his game hasn't gone away. It's been fantastic to watch. And I think that this past game was a perfect way of you know capitalizing that. I don't expect that to go away at all. I think that's one of their best chances of being able to go through. Um, João Felix is a different story because I think that it's going to depend on his form over the next two weeks. Right? He just came back from injury. First goal since September. It's uh, it's it's tough because he'll gain match fitness and everything like that. I'm not worried about it. But do you go with someone you know that hasn't necessarily been scoring too many goals in Alvaro Morata, um, but who still will give you an okay performance? Uh, it's fine. Or someone like João Felix, who you may get a standout performance, or you may get well nothing practically. Right. right? A lot of pressure for. It, it's, age. Yeah, it's a lot of pressure, and you're not sure what to expect. So I don't know about João Felix. If I have to put money on it, I'd probably put money on him starting over Murata, or if not, side-by-side. Side. Um, but I'm, I'm very confident that Trippier will start. I think he was very cognizant of how much of an impact he had in, in the game uh, you know, last week. Yeah, and I, I would agree. I think it's, it's, always, it's more likely that Trippier would start. Um, and we know if Simeone has any doubt in his mind about Jao Felix, Jao Felix's um, ability or determination to help on the defensive side of this game, of this second leg, then he, he will not even consider starting him. Right. So, so we'll have to see, of course, how his next couple of weeks go, um, just fitting him back into the team. But I'm sure Diego Simeone is also very well aware of where their problems have been this season. It's in putting chances away. It's in creating 
more high quality chances. You know, they create high quality chances, but it's enough of them. And is it falling to the right person when the ball does get into the box? He must know that if there is a chance, if he can get some sort of assurance that Jean Felix will help on the defensive side, their ceiling is much higher if he's playing, right? Their, their, their chance to actually score at Anfield is much higher if he's playing. So it'll be, obviously, it'll be one of the most um, exciting or entertaining uh, or anticipated. I don't know how exciting or entertaining it might actually end up being, but but it'll be one of the most anticipated um, second leg ties for sure. And I think if if we had to make predictions now, I would I would probably bet that Liverpool are able to get through. Maybe I'm not going to say they'll blow them out. I mean, maybe maybe it is two 0 Maybe it's a very late goal that ends up winning it. But um, but I think you'd have to still favor Liverpool going back to Anfield and. As being in a position where Lelico are almost definitely going to have to score because you can't see any scenario that game ends 0-0, right? No, no, I, d- I don't think this game ends 0-0. I think Liverpool score, um, and they score more than once. Um, I also think Atletico score, though, so I'm going with kind of like a 2-1 Liverpool type here, type win here. Um, well, that would put Atletico through. Right, right, oh. exactly. So I'm still, I'm still favoring Liverpool to win this game. Um, but I'm not going to rule out that Atletico don't score. So I think it's going to be either a 2-1 or a 3-1. Um, and it's hard. I've seen Liverpool at home. I don't want to bet against them, quite frankly. Um, uh, this is tough. I'm going to go Liverpool go through 3-1 um, and Atletico go out. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm too scared of Anfield. I've just, <laughs> I, I'm, I have PTSD from that game. Every Barcelona Champions League away match, I... I get goosebumps oh my god anyway all right let's let's move on to the next game before i lose my mind um funny story with the other games of last week spurs leipzig and valencia atalanta um i was telling rian last week so i was in las vegas for work um and i decided that i wanted to try and bet on the champions league games i missed out on the first days thank god because i would have bet wrong either way um but I bet on Tottenham losing and Valencia uh, winning. Uh, so, so Leipzig winning and Valencia winning, basically. Um, and I hit on one of them, which was Leipzig winning. And I guess my time is up, so that's fine. Um, no, but I bet on Leipzig winning and I hit Valencia, of course, got thrashed in Italy. Um, but I don't, quite frankly, the, the bet that did hit for me, the Leipzig won, it wasn't a surprise, right? Like, it, like Leipzig dominated Spurs in like the most, uh, like the utmost peak performance type of way. I don't even know if there's a word for it, but like Spurs were never in this game. Like this was Leipzig's to lose. Yeah, I mean, Ellie's texted me right at the end of the first half. I think it was. Um, and saying something along the lines of if Leipzig don't put away one of these chances, I'm going to lose my mind. And I, I sent him back a Mourinho gift. <laughs> so it's like, this seems about right. Yeah. But um, but no, they were just much... They're, they're a better team. They're a better team. It's, it's that simple. Like, we shouldn't be 
We shouldn't be surprised that Leipzig won. Okay, yes, of course not. We also really shouldn't be surprised with the way that Tottenham played. And they played the exact same way when they put, um, on Saturday when they played against Chelsea. And they played the exact same way that every single Jose Mourinho team has ever played against a team that he has thought is even close to the same level <laughs> in terms of talent. They may not even be... In this case, Leipzig are much better. But with Mourinho, it's like, if you're even within 10% of our talent, I'm going to care way more about what you're doing and try to just neutralize you. And, you know, we're not even going to practice attacking this week. <laughs> that's, that's that's what it's been. That's that's what it's been since he's come into this Tottenham team. He really ruined you, man. <laughs> uh, no, no, he didn't ruin No, he didn't ruin me. He... I am actually more vindicated than ever with how these first couple, how these months have gone so far for Tottenham, because I understand the team is not great right now. I understand they're dealing with injuries right now too. But if you think that Tottenham were going to play any differently, they could had they could have had. Diego Maradona and Pele himself up top. They would have played the exact same way. They would have had a better chance to score, of course, but they would have played the exact same way. They're not. Jose is not going to change. Not at all. It doesn't matter. And the crazy thing about it, a couple things with Jose, not just Jose, but the way that his teams play, right? He's one, he's the complete antithesis of Arsene Wenger, right? He's the, he's a perfect foil for him. The playing style, exact opposite. But at the same sense, two old men who have no thought in their mind of changing how their teams play just on a more macro level ever. They, they won't change. They won't change their philosophy Jose came in and we were and came in with like a different backroom staff than than he had ever before and we were like oh maybe he'll be different you know, he's come he's a changed man whatever and yeah. it was just it was yeah. just it was just people who had never who did not have him as their coach <laughs> to know that he's never going to change and basically unless you have world class attacking talents this way of playing football doesn't it doesn't work anymore. Right, and it's not to say that you can't play defensively. Right, there's nothing wrong with that. You, all you have to do is look to Syria and watch Inter. They play somewhat defensively. Antonio Conte's teams play somewhat defensively, but in the least, there's an intensity in their pressing. There's an intensity in the way they break, and there's none of that with this Tottenham team. There's been none of that with any Jose Mourinho team for. We're looking at two, what, three years now at least? Like, we haven't seen any of that. And I think part of that too is because the game has, I don't think the game has changed, but the emphasis on what is successful for the best teams, I think, has changed in the last couple of years. And just to give an example here, right? Beginning of the 2010s, Guardiola sides, Spain, Spain national team, the possession-based, the revolution that came with that, right? That was what was not, uh, I don't want to say currency, but that was, that was what everyone was looking for 
throughout the beginning 2000, 2010s to, let's say, just about three or four years ago, right? That, that was what everyone was looking for in Europe. That's what was setting you apart. The best teams were able to possess the ball. They were able to move the ball around quickly with some intensity, not necessarily running at teams, right? But more creating disadvantages for the defending team through possession, right? Now, within the last few years, and you could almost say the turning point is Jurgen Klopp going to Liverpool, right? Now, what the currency is to win is intensity in your press. And that has never been a staple of a Jose Mourinho team. And that is a staple of the team that they were playing last week, of Leipzig. Press high, move quickly, and run at the other team um, every chance you get. And until Jose is ready to adapt, to push higher up the field, then he's going to be left behind. He's just going to be left behind. And he's going to be left behind in the same way that Arsene Wenger was left behind. And it's going to be sad because those are those are two undoubtedly great managers, two of the greatest managers that European football has seen. And they're going to be left behind. They end up. They will end up being left behind in a way that Sir Alex Ferguson was not. <laughs> and that's and that's the. This is. I mean, we've gone off a little bit, but <laughs> but it's just that's the difference, though, yeah. though. Is adaptability. That's what makes best coaches the best coaches that's why Guardiola is the closest thing we've had to Sir Alex Ferguson right because he's changing things it might be small minutia but he's changing things every game and he's adapting and he's always looking for solutions whereas Jose Mourinho is always looking to basically plug gaps Right, he's, he's looking. He's not looking to find a solution to the other team. He's looking to make sure that the other team can't find solutions to what his team can do. And hats off to Leipzig. There's a reason that they're one of the best teams in Germany right now. There's a reason that they are tied for the lead in Germany with uh, Bayern Munich. And there's a reason that Tottenham is sitting in sixth in one of the worst seasons in the Premier League's history outside of the team that's basically in first. There's like there's a reason that these English teams don't look that great in Europe right now. Right? Your your competition isn't that great. Even the teams that are in the Champions League, Chelsea and Tottenham are not great teams. They're at best Good, nice teams that would do very well. They're you. You wouldn't really be able to pick them out if they were in the Europa League this year. But you could say that. Just you could say that about basically every team from third down to like ninth at this point in England. So the English teams are going to suffer from how bad the Premier League is this season, and there's no escaping it. They're teams are not very good. There's not a lot of talent, and they're going to suffer in Europe for this season. I'm not saying it's it's a systemic problem or, or something like that, because last season we saw there were all English finals in European in both of the European Cups. So it's just they're going to suffer this season, and just when you look at the teams that they're playing, 
um, Atletico Madrid, Bayern Munich, Leipzig. We'll see. We'll see how City does tomorrow with Real Madrid. Teams that are playing in leagues that have a very, very competitive title race right now, and there's something to that. Words of wisdom. Words of incredible wisdom. So I, I agree with you pretty much on everything. Um, I'll make it short. I agree with you that Jose is never going to change. I don't necessarily agree that he'll be left behind. I, I think that he, he's kind of proven that he won't be left behind because he's still here and he still plays the same way that he did 10 years ago through all the adaptive changes. So I don't know if he'll be left behind. I don't think he'll be successful. I mean, Arsene Wenger released the Arsenal code for probably like three years too long. Yeah, okay. Also, also very fair, but I don't think he's going to stick around, you know, at Tottenham like in three years. Right. right? But, like, but Jose Mourinho, the name was hired. Not Jose Mourinho, look at his last... <laughs> Like four seasons as a coach, right? Right, exactly. Like they, I think they did expect. I think they expected something different, Spurs, but they got what they like should have expected. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, they, yeah. yeah, this is yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. what they should have expected, right? And, and not just to play on the field. Everything that he's saying in the press conferences too, coming out after the Chelsea game, saying saying stuff like. Um, it was like no, actually after the Leipzig game, he said it was like shoot, having a gun with no bullets. Uh, coming in after the Chelsea game, saying we had we had um, our strikers were in the hospital, uh, blah blah blah. While it was his choice to not start Deli Alley on Saturday, like that was no one's choice but his. Um, granted, Deli Alley was pretty upset getting taken off against Leipzig, but. I can understand why he was upset because every time that Tottenham picks up the ball, they're playing long balls to no one, to literally no one. They're bypassing the midfield. So I can't imagine that any of those midfielders are having much fun playing, playing on this team. So it's not an easy fix for Tottenham. All this being said, this first season, I think, with Mourinho is more or less a wash because... You think about where they were when he came in. They were at rock bottom, and they're slightly above that right now. But um, they couldn't have expected that they would genuinely be able to compete in the Champions League this season. So I, I just don't see how this gets any better, even in the summer, because Tottenham didn't even buy a player for 18 months. Why do we now think that a season coming off where we probably expect them not to make the Champions League, right? Um, maybe, maybe we'll get onto the UEFA ban, but there might be extenuating circumstances that get them very luckily into it. But a season where they might not finish in the Champions League and they go into the summer and they're probably playing in Europa League the next season, in what world is Daniel Levy paying, like spending a lot of money when they're not even going to get the Champions League revenue? <laughs> A world that doesn't exist, quite frankly. Um, they're going to have to do without it, um, as in Champions League football and Champions League revenue, and playing with a semi-decent squad in the Premier League. So so basically they're hedging their bets on the Premier League, which is not going to be won by them next year. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know what their expectations are. I think they would need to reevaluate that, but quite frankly, they're not going to make it yeah. past this round. Of the yeah, and, and that goes. To, I think we both expect Leipzig to take care of business back home, 
right? I mean, he. Oof, I don't know what is what is Mourinho going to do in this game. Right? He, he can't possibly play the same style, and they won't have Son or Kane. He has to try to play attacking, right? He has to, but does he know how to coach that anymore? I don't know. So I, I have to give, again, a lot of credit to Leipzig because they did this without any of their starting center backs being able to play. With Upe Meccano, especially, he was suspended for the game. They had to play Ethan Ampadu, who is actually on loan from Chelsea, but is a defensive midfielder. He had to play center back in that game and played very well. And, and they again, he didn't have that much to do against Tottenham, um, Tottenham's attack. But you have to give them a lot of credit. They were, out, they were without starting center backs, and they were without... Of course, Tyler Adams, too, who's there, who starts regularly for them when he's when he's fit. So um, that was it. Was a great performance from them, and they deserve to win that game, and they'll probably deserve to win the second one too. So um, yeah, I think I think Tottenham's in a bit of a not even, not even a bit. They're just they're a mess right now. So and and they're just playing a team that's better than them. Right. And it's not going to get any better better in the second leg. Sorry, Tottenham fans. It's just not. Sorry. But a team that I, I guess did even worse <laughs> than, than Spurs and somehow managed to screw that up even more was, uh, unfortunately, Valencia here. Valencia went to Atalanta, of course, and lost 4-1. Uh, but they got they got a precious away goal. Hey, there's always a, there's always a chance right now. I'm sorry, but there, <laughs> there's likely no chance. I mean, Valencia basically went into this game with their – Entire back line just ruined, um, both by injuries and suspensions and everything. So, yeah, Valencia didn't really have um, much to go on. I was the idiot that bet on Valencia winning um, because the odds were great, and you know that naturally they were great because, well, they should have lost, <laughs> which they did. Um, but the thing that I'm most impressed about with this game is not necessarily anything to do with Valencia. It's just that. Atalanta continue to show up in the Champions League, right? Like, given that they're, you know, still having to play games in Italy consistently and everything, like, it's it's hard for teams that are new to the Champions League to do that, but they're doing so with such energy, and the one thing that you mentioned about how teams need that, right? And this is the new adaptability stage where teams need that energy and that press and that intensity in order to, to get through. They're slowly but surely becoming a master in that game. Yeah, no, I mean, they, they, they had a tough start to the beginning of the group stage for them. Um, obviously, they got destroyed by Manchester City, and, but, you know, who hasn't at this point? But um, they they found a way to get out of the group, and now in their first, again, this is their first Champions League campaign in the club's history. Like, just this is their first knockout stage. And they win in their first game. And funny enough, they're playing in the San Siro. They're playing in Inter, in Inter Milan and AC Milan Stadium. And the irony of that, where neither of those teams are in the Champions League, it has to just be pretty sickening to both of those uh, clubs fans. But no, it's, it's a great performance, a great, great goal from, I think it was, was Ilicic, a 20-yard goal. It was something like that, yes. Wonderful, yeah. wonderful. But, but um, no, a, a lot of credit to them because, again, first Champions League campaign. So everything to them now is gravy, and they're still doing well in, in Italy as well too. So they're, they're sitting in fourth in Italy. They're, they can't ask for much more than this. Um, 
and you know they're they're going to go to Valencia. They're, they'll have a three goal advantage, but like you said, Valencia did get the uh, away that crucial away goal. But who knows how crucial it'll be when you've also given up four? But I I texted Elias about this. I think maybe at the end of the game is that the team that has to be kicking themselves is is Ajax. Ajax has to just be. Livid with themselves, they went into the final game of the group stage at home against Valencia and just needed a draw to go through, and they couldn't. They couldn't find a way to get it. I mean, a draw to go through and also win their group. <laughs> like that's all they wouldn't have even had to play. Um, I mean, they would have had to. They they would have played. Um, they would have played Atlanta. Yeah, they yeah. would have played Atlanta, and and. I think we would have given them a better chance than probably Valencia at this right. this current version of Valencia, right? So, um, yeah, Ajax has to be kicking themselves. I mean, Ajax are kicking themselves for multiple different reasons right now, quite frankly. But I do think because of how Atlanta have just showed up consistently and put in consistent performances in Europe, I don't even know if Ajax would have gotten past them quite frankly I mean I mean they would have obviously had more of a chance like you said but I don't I don't think it was a guarantee by any stretch that they were going to get through um it's it's crazy to me how close the statistics were um in this game and I'm looking at them right now but it it tells a completely different story right I don't know what the expected goals were in this but Atalanta deserved every single one because Valencia defensively are an absolute mess um you know their midfield has struggled for pace a little bit. Danny Prejo is kind of their obviously their captain, but is their leader in midfield, and it, it didn't seem to get put together, um, quite frankly. And up top, well, I don't even want to go there. So yeah, it was <laughs> up top. They're good, but yeah, it was just a mess for them. I don't see how they get a way back in this, um, but. I do think they score a goal. I have a feeling they'll score, score a goal early in the in the second leg to kind of make it a little nervy, and then, quite frankly, it'll tail off because that's peak Valencia. Yeah, and it, not an easy place to play either. <laughs> you know. I, you yeah, know. not an easy place to play. So it, either way, we'll get we should get an entertaining game, but we're we're looking at Atalanta. It, it take it'll take. A, co- a massive collapse for them not to make it through at this point. Hey, I I know a little bit about a massive collapse. Let me tell you, but no, I'm not going to get into that. I'm still bitter, but we've been talking for a while, so we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to talk, man, city done messed up. <laughs> we're going to talk a little bit about that and uh, the rest of the Champions League ties. Mm-hmm. 